seen anything like that. I'm a very confident front runner. I've had caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. Um, how are we going to count all the shots? If you, I, I can't keep track. Of course I would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. It's the Irish Open. Of course I want to play at the weekend. Yes, hello. Welcome along. Golf Weekly. We are up and running. Nathan Murphy alongside me here in studio. And Fionn, come in. How are you, lads? Oh, there you are. Wasn't sure if you were going to be in work or in your house on your couch. It's the ladder. <laughs> well, I am working from home. Just, sure. you know. To... Yeah, no, sure, sure. <laughs> How's that going here. for you? <laughs> yeah, let me put on some trousers. No. Um... <laughs> No, I am working from home. So uh, we've got lots to talk about. Um, Phil Mickelson will come to. Matt Kuchar is doubling down. We have uh, the latest on Rory McIlroy's schedule. Tiger Woods at Riviera. Sergio Garcia. Adam Scott calling the new rules a laughing stock. Mm. And uh, more besides. I'll start with tweets if that's okay. Uh, Tom. McPherson, I didn't fully understand this. Uh, Jen's podcast, terrific. The Andy Griffith whistle, though. I got to tell you, very shrill in the earbuds for the show breaks. Oh, I'm with you now. He's also the first person ever to describe that kind of pleasant whistle sound as shrill. Shrill in the earbuds. I don't like it. Do you not? No. What? Do you not really? No. I think it's needless. I like it at the start. I like the theme tune. I'm, As a section, do you know break. what the problem might be? Go on. It may just be the editing. It might be that we're talking at a certain level, yeah. But that that suddenly out of nowhere comes in. Uh, it's not a nice, yeah. relaxing whistle. It's a holy Jesus, what just happened? Whistle. Right. Okay. I'll tell you what I'll do, Tom, and now Nathan. It seems I will uh, make the volume of the whistle just lower, relaxing, a more gentle volume. Exactly. Okay. It's too abrupt. You're saying. I, I, I'm just saying that could be the issue. The issue. Okay. That rather than a nice little connecting piece of music, it's a jolt back to life. Oh, I don't want to jolt maybe that's what, But maybe that's what you're looking for. No, people no, no, I'm looking for, a, I'm looking for a relaxing time out. Okay. You know, because it's mm. hard for people to concentrate totally for an hour sometimes, you know. So it's meant to be a... Two uh, second. Just a little... Uh, okay. This has blown my mind. Is this a, if this is the general consensus out there, then I've had this all wrong. It's one of those things, when I hear it, I go, I must mention that someday, but then... Instantly forget about it <laughs> and right. never think of it again. Okay, 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 okay. Well, um, it's got a bit awkward now. No, it? no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll try and make it a bit more gentle going forward. <laughs> Stop. Oh. Ian Lord uh, took a brilliant picture. Matt Wallace was back at his old school giving lessons, which was very nice. Uh, Clay Brockman. I enjoy listening to the Golf Weekly OTB pod and like it even more when at Shane Ryan is on. Great stuff as always. Niall Anglum agreed. Need to get Shane Ryan on the pod again soon. He was very good as usual. And Jared Miller, who I suspect must be an American. Whoa, you simply don't mess with Shane Ryan when he's just getting off, gotten off an Irish podcast. He will burn you alive. Was he, that, was he, was he, who was he burning? Maybe the European tour? Yeah. Sergio well, took a bit of punishment, actually. Well, both. Yeah. Which is understandable. Uh, Aaron Jerkowski, I've started to crave golf. Adam Fernell casually dropped the name of a golf podcast, so it's time to fall asleep to at Golf Weekly OTB and dream of being frustrated on the fairways this summer, says Aaron. You're very welcome, Aaron, if you're a new listener. 
I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to crave golf again. The weather's nice today. The weather's perfect today. Yeah. I'm back to measuring distances on the street in terms of how far a club it would be. Right. <laughs> you know, I, we talked about this before. I must have been missing that day. Yeah, I do it all the time. I was in New York last year, and that is the ultimate because there's so many elevated tee shots. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And you think, well, could I hit it through that gap and hit top, that building? Off the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah, that, that crossed my mind. But even from ground level, you look up and there might be a gap between two buildings. And you think, God, if I, if I hit a, a six iron high, I could get it right. up over the roof. Yeah, no, it's a thing. You had a bit of a fun, did you? Or am I imagining that? I do, no, 100%. You and I both agreed. I have done that for 20 years. <laughs> I still measure, yeah. I measure um, distances uh, in irons and, and woods. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, Aaron Joukowsky's got the golf bug. Wally Cummins uh, reckons Sky's golf coverage is getting worse. Anton de Beek. Beck. Beck. Give me a break. He's the bloke off Strictly Come Dancing. Mm. I did see him all right on the so show. So did I. Yeah. I. I, again, had that initial reaction, which was, why is Rob Brydon on yeah. the golf? And then It really does look like Rob Brydon. Yeah. <sighs> look, it's a, was it a Friday night or a Saturday night, and they're trying to jazz it up a little bit? Like, it's hard to know what they should do. When they're not there, when they're stuck in studio, there's something quite depressing about their studio setup right now. It, it lacks a bit of oomph. It la- yeah. like it's not quite 11 sport, but also it's not... It, it does feel like the last It three feels like people. it's nighttime. It feels like the last three people in the building. Mm. You, like, you yeah, just the lighting know, you isn't, just, isn't all there. No, and you just know that like, the whole Sky uh, campus at that stage is basically empty, except for those two or three suckers. It just has that feel. It doesn't have the feel when they come back that they've been having a good time in studio in between. Yeah. It's, ah, here we go. Another four minutes to fill. Let's get the old shot tracker out. Mm. Ah. Yeah. It's a thankless task. Um, I mean, I'm, if they could just take what American TV are doing back in, in the studio, they Well, sure presumably, it. though, the reason they're doing that a lot of the time is that the American ads yeah. go on so long mm. and there's so much nonsense going on in the American coverage that they're having to fill these gaps. Yeah, I think so. It's very hard to know what to do. And also, they have a half-hour break, generally, don't they, still in the American coverage, where they switch channels. Yes, they do. So they switch from Golf Channel to CBS or NBC, which is generally the longest period that they go back to the studio. Yeah. I'm not just saying this. I think on a Thursday and a Friday of a really low-rent PGA Tour event, they should just get us in. Absolutely. I agree. What's the worst that could happen? Like, nothing bad could happen. It'd be just more buttoned-down, relaxed, casual thing, you know? Just think... It's a bit stuffy and the shirts and... And the problem they have and the problem that they're going to have going forward with this is that the best golfers don't need to go into punditry. Yeah. They have enough money. Yeah. So who wants to be in there on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday on a regular basis? Which means they're not getting the quality of guests. And I'm saying that David Howell was in last week. Mm. You just wonder at times, they're not giving you the level of insight mm. you would expect. Yeah. Compared to when you flick to the American coverage and you Faldo, are you amazing or now, or you had Johnny Miller. Yeah. Where, I guess they're there is the thing. I know, but it's such a technical game and so complicated. There is far more room for insight that mm. they're not giving us. You know, it's very basic analysis, I find. It is. It's, it's definitely the sort of analysis that we could do. Yeah. Like, it's... No, totally. Jo- it's, oh, Jordan Spieth, great, great putter, but just not had a good year. Yeah. Without, <laughs> well, actually, we've done this four-hour research of every round, like the guy did on Speed's Pudding, yeah. and we've sort of figured out something that may be going on here. Yeah. 
do you know what I, I thought? I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, what caption would they put under our respective names? So, you know, the way it's with Dennis Pugh, it's always like coach to four major winners or whatever. It would be like uh, Joe Malloy, watch Tiger Woods live twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is about, I think though. He looked at me once. He funny. looked at me right yeah. in the eye once. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Look, it's fate. Waited for Hideki Matsuyama outside the toilet. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While he had a pee. Yeah. yeah. It's very easy to be critical, though. It's really hard. I don't know. I actually don't know what you do, in all seriousness, like putting us on and being absolute catastrophes. Well, well you're, you're the TV man here, Joe. Mm-hmm. If you had suddenly half an hour to fill with one guest, you think it'd be an easy job? Week after week. The guest is Mick Bradley. Yeah. Like, week after week is the key quote from Fionn. Absolutely. You can do it once. Everybody can fill a half hour. I think the first year would be very doable. There'd be enough in the... Yeah. I'd, I'd have about a year of ideas, and then it could, I could see myself oh, falling back into what they're doing now. You know? Maybe it's not as bad on the European tour coverage, because it's of the time of day. It mm. just feels... You always... You go over to American course, the sun is shining, it looks beautiful, it's vibrant, yeah. and then it comes back and you say, three guys wearing grey suits who really would rather be anywhere yeah, else. They haven't seen and, sunshine. And professional golfers time. tend not to like other golfers. They don't, they're not sitting there, they're not excited yeah. about watching Phil at Pebble Beach. It's, uh, yeah, should have yeah. been me. Another been million me. for Phil. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Any thoughts or ideas, fire them in. We'll uh, tease them out. Gary Harkin then obviously knew the answer to your question. I'm screaming GMAC like a crazy man on the walk to work. Oh, is this where you couldn't GMAC was suddenly so obviously the idea, you know. Uh, Fergal O'Shea. Uh, hey, guys. When I caddied in the Irish Open in 2011 in Killarney, the fine was €500 Euro for not raking a bunker correctly. You get shown a list when registering, and there were other ones for various things. Thanks for that, Fergal. John Bailey. Great pod, Lance. Made my commute easy. Kepka is uh, reaching legendary status in a week. I never knew he spoke. And then Carlos Liu said, Joe from at Golf Weekly OTB, nothing special, this is him quoting me, nothing special about the Vic Open on the Euro Tour this week, Nathan. Nathan says, actually, the women's and men's events are happening at the same time. Joe, oh, interesting, moves along. And Carlos <laughs> says, was a friend of the pod. Oof. Whoa. Yeah, I think Carlos is implying I'm a rampant sexist there. That's well, uh, the general gist. The uh, truth was, it. I mean... Carlos, I think the reason I, it's worth addressing because honestly, I just hadn't had time to look very much into the Vic Open. It wasn't the biggest event, to say the least, last week. I didn't even know it until Nathan uh, made that point. And then. See, I had the time because I'm not a rampant sexist. And then, I don't know, I just didn't know what to say. But I do actually think it's a brilliant idea. I think it makes perfect sense uh, to put men's and women's tournaments on side by side. And actually, they, you, I mean, you're getting two for the price of one. You're getting two very interesting contest mm. where you've got the top four or five in each leaderboard and you're seeing all their shots. Because the problem with golf sometimes on a Sunday is if there's only two or three in contention, you don't really care about the guy's intent. You know, his tee shot on the 14th is ultimately meaningless. So if you could squeeze in two tournaments there, yeah. I think that would be fantastic. Well, I honestly mon- do think it's the I way guess to the go. World Match Play and the Monday Finish are the two prime examples of that. So last Monday, Monday golf is fine if there's still nine holes to go and there might be a bit of drama and there's people on course. But coming back when it's just Phil Mickelson and Paul Casey, there's no buzz. No. I sat down last Monday afternoon watching it going, who cares? It's two guys, they're going to hit four shots each. 
It didn't help the tournament was already kind of over. Pretty much, pretty much. But You might have been much more excited if there were six holes and they were level. Mm. Harrington was saying recently, I saw that, was it in the interview with Dermot Galise, that he reckons that there's going to be a female winner. Yeah, on the PGA Tour. On the PGA Tour. In the next 20 years or 10? Mm. Not sure. For fear of Carlos casually characterizing you as a complete sexist, do you agree? You? No, but I'm I'm trying to save you here. Because he might say next week, Joe said it was a good idea, Nathan changed the subject. Do you agree that it could work? Having both at the same time? Absolutely. I I think for that exact reason, for we're just talking about television coverage, the more action you see, the better. The only potential issue would be numbers on course, fitting everyone in. You'd have to have reduced fields in both tournaments, would you? Well, they're having more and more reduced fields anyways. And maybe you you don't need to do it every week, but if you have it four times a year, Mm. why not? I think it's a great idea. Um, I didn't get to see any of it. Uh, did you? Very little. Okay. But speaking of um, golf in Australia, they're in Australia still this week, the European Tour. Yeah. Uh, and friend of the pod, Michael Hoey, is back playing European Tour golf. Right. And playing quite well. So he's only three shots off the lead after the first round. Played well in the tournament last week. Has he won his tour card back? He came through on the Challenge Tour last year. So he would have had opportunities on the European Tour, but he had decided to fully focus on the Challenge Tour mm. and turn down invites and turn down the few tournaments that he would have got into. So he must have got some category of card for this year. So he's playing quite well down there. And generally, when he plays well, he plays very well. This it's, is the ISPS all or nothing. Handa World Super 6. Yes, um, where he is four under par. He's three shots off the lead. Did you enjoy that did round of Michael Hoey that time at Let's Just Sound, Fionn? Uh, um, yeah, I did, actually. I mean, it was kind of weird. It was metronomic watching him hit the ball. Remember? Yeah. It was you and me, wasn't it, Nathan? Or was and, it you and, and me, Joe? Joe, Joe was there, as well. I was oh, there yeah. as well, yeah. He wasn't playing particularly <laughs> well at the time. Though he did no, hit he on the 18th hole just the most ridiculous yeah. second shot. Yeah. To he about. had a four-iron. He had a four-iron over the water, well over 200 yards to what? Like to 20 feet? Yeah, it was a par five. So he got there. Yeah. In two. He got there in two mm. on a ridiculously cold, miserable day. Before that, was that, it. Before it was that like, I must say I, I didn't have a wow moment with him. No, I mean, it's, it's pro- he's probably but not he, overly concentrating, and some of his short game stuff was a bit loose. Mm. But when he hit that forearm, whatever, that whatever it was, yeah, and, and this was a green on a par five, which had water right up to the start of the green. This was a tough shot, um, and that was a real oh my god, wow. Yeah, uh, but it was like the, it was the casual way in which he just kind of hit it. It was just. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. Like, uh, Although, I mean, his driving was fine. Uh, his chipping and putting probably was a little rusty. And yeah, there was no wow moments until then. I wouldn't uh, say his was adrenaline little... was pumping. No, I, that's what I was, I was going to say. It's he just literally wanted anywhere. to be anywhere else in the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's not true. If you got the feeling he was like, I mean, we had I, okay I, I thought actually he was quite happy he, to be he, just he, knocking it around yeah, and having I mean, a chat. He's a good impression. Gave us his Harrington and his McDowell impression. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm sure there's, um, there's three other people he would much prefer to be playing golf with. Yeah. People who could, yeah, that he could certainly earn a living from. Um, did you see, speaking of people who've kind of come back to, did you see Mike Weir, major winners on the web.com tour now? Oh, yeah. He's still grafting. Yeah, 48 years. But he, like, he's 48. Mm. He's not that old. Yeah. You know? Well, as Phil but Mickelson like, has proved. Well, yeah, absolutely. But it goes to show you, like, you can... You win a major and there's no guarantee of, of, a, of a guilt-edged career on the top tour. 
This is true. Mm. Uh, mm. Tom McPherson and Nathan Murphy, if you're listening, prepare your ears for a gentle, quiet whistle. Ow. How do you think that was, Nathan? Oof. How do you think it was? Well, I feel like I need to whisper, just to <laughs> keep everybody in the moment. Just a hint of a whistle. Whoa! Whoa, Fionn. See, that's... That actually is invasive. That's, that's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Phil Mickelson. His 44th win on tour. Extraordinary stuff. Four months off turning 48. Uh, Phil Mickelson will turn 48, Fionn, on the 16th of June. He will. On the last day of the US Open. No, 49. Is it 48 or 49? 48, I have. But you could be right. The last day of the US Open this year. His birthday. It's the first day. Okay, well then, I've got it completely uh, wrong. This is is catastrophic. This is disastrous in in so many ways. So what you're wondering is, is he 48 now or will he turn 48 on the first or last day of the US Open? He'll turn 49 on June 16th. Had June 16th. Which is... So he'll turn 49. Is it the first day or the last day of the US Open? Yeah. Well, this is quality, quality <laughs> podcasting. Yeah. It is the last day of the US oh, Open. Oh, sorry. Bloody hell, Joe. <laughs> Destroyed. We can agree it's at Pebble Beach, though. Yes. Uh, I'm going to uh, do that over. Phil Mickelson. No, I'm not really. Uh, extraordinary stuff from Mickelson. Uh, the most impressive thing of everything, he started the day uh, three shots behind Paul Casey mm. and played virtually perfect golf, uh, six birdies and no bogeys in the Sunday, is the jump in his swing speed. I'm sure you've all seen this. Mm. He's had a five to six mile an hour jump in swing speed last year. Uh, really in the last three, four months, Mickelson said. It was nine months of hard work and then overnight I was swinging six miles an hour faster. It was biometric swing studies of my swing taking weaknesses, making them strengths. It was time in the gym. It was the whole workout process. It's been a lot of work, but days like this make it worthwhile. And Mickelson has gone from being way down the field, 57th last year in driving distance, to now fifth on the PGA Tour in driving distance so far this season. He has gone from averaging 300 yards to 316 yards per drive. This is absolutely extraordinary at 48 about to go 49 years of age extraordinary if you're Rory McIlroy you'll be looking at that thinking I like the sound of that in another 18 19 years I can still be in the top five of driving distance it's from from where we saw him and listen it's clear the Ryder Cup was a complete outlier that he just wasn't comfortable all week and that the course got into his head and where we thought this guy's game is gone and may not come back forever yeah to literally two weeks later, yeah. actually looking like a golfer again. Isn't golf extraordinary like that? But from that to watching him last weekend, and it's funny, still something about Phil when he's playing well. It's exciting. There's a buzz. There's a feeling that he can chip it in from anywhere, that he can put it close from anywhere, that, and does it in such a flamboyant way that it's different watching him. There's still very few who can sort of capture mm. you on a Saturday evening or a, a Sunday evening like Mickelson. Yeah, totally agree. Fionn? Yeah, absolutely. He's just, he's the ultimate swashbuckler, but always has been. That's uh, and he's held on to it for what twenty five years of a career. Mm. He's always been brilliant. Mm. I mean, yeah. I mean, in the past, there was always the criticism is that swashbuckling style is a thing that cost him an awful lot. But who cares? Yeah, like he's won plenty. Um, yeah, he was impressive, wasn't he? Like was it Thursday last week on the first day of the uh, at, of the AT and T. It was the first time in five years, I think, or more, that he'd hit every fairway. Right. Which is an, 
that's an impressive stat, like at the best of times, like yeah. every fairway he hit. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was quite funny is, is that obviously he was on a massive run on the Sunday, so he's playing brilliantly. And when it came time to call for darkness, that Casey was obviously keen to call it. And Miggleson was like, no, 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 let's just play it out now. Let's just yeah. finish this out now. I can see fine, said Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can see fine. Uh, Mark um, Russell was. He apologised on the Monday. He did, yeah. Mark Russell was the rules official who walked over. Uh, Casey agreed and Mickelson, I can see fine. And then uh, it became a meme very quickly, his reaction when the hooter went of just shaking yeah. his head. What, what corporate uh, yeah. gig did Phil have arranged for Monday? That's oh. the real question. Uh, he said on Monday, sometimes I, uh, he said I apologise, sometimes I get into my own little bubble. It's easy to yeah. apologise when you win. Yeah, very easy. Can like you imagine if he had blown but up also, on the Monday? But, is, is, but hang on, was Mickelson not entirely correct in the sense that he had momentum? He's playing brilliantly. There's no guarantee yeah. that he's going to come. I mean, given it was only two holes, and as Nathan pointed out, there was nothing that interesting on the Monday coming back to watch two players hit four shots each. But mm. like, but just to get this sealed, signed, and delivered, so everyone can go home on the Sunday night. Yeah. And uh, but you with the momentum, I, I absolutely don't blame Mickel. I actually think it's weird that Mickelson apologised. I didn't begin it. It was just like, yeah. I wanted to finish. I was had momentum, and that was it. Yeah, it made sense you know? for both. It made it, it made yeah. perfect sense for Casey to try and interrupt the momentum, and it made sense for Mickelson to try and get it done. Well, remember the twenty fourteen USPGA, where Phil and Rory in the darkness and this ridiculous oh, yeah. scenario, where no matter what and no matter who won, they were going to finish the round. Yeah, yeah, there were echoes of that. Uh, the really that was Phil again. That was Phil again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rory was the one who basically. He drove over them at one stage, mm. didn't he? That's right. Yeah. So I mean, he drove into the water. Yeah. One of the interesting questions is obviously U.S. Open, Pebble Beach, Phil's birthday, of course, on the final day, uh, turns forty-nine, <laughs> as we know. Uh, to what extent Pebble Beach will be transformed? We saw a few snippets where fairways were narrower. Uh, I wouldn't say rough was necessarily up. That will all happen. Uh, it just remains to be seen. Given the cock-ups they've had in recent years at Shinnecock and there were criticisms over Chambers Bay and mm. uh, the US Open is on thin ice, you know. Uh, Pebble Beach, they may not go to town on it. They may just say, Do you know what, we need to actually get out of here without this thing becoming a farce in any way. So uh, Mickelson might go there with a bit of hope, you know. I mean, he's got a great record there, he likes it there. Uh, this might be one of his best chances. Well, he was quick to say afterwards that he didn't feel that this week will have any relevance come June for the US Open. And Pebble Beach, when you think back to 2010 and when McDowell won, it didn't feel as though it had been massively toughened up, but no. once the wind blows, like the scores were, were huge. Mm. It was, McDowell was over par, wasn't he? Well over par. Yeah, very close. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Dustin Johnson absolutely imploded in mm. the conditions on, on the final day. And suddenly, what can be a... I think the seventh one of the days that week at Pebble played 95 yards and was still almost impossible mm. to hold the green. So they probably don't need to toughen it up too much to make it a far different course mm. from now. It just feels, and I, I think I've said this before, I sort of do feel Mickelson's thing is going to be that he'll end up as the oldest major winner, that he'll grind one out somewhere, which if he wins one now, he will be. Like, talk about written in the stars to complete a career Grand Slam Ooh. and become the oldest major winner on the final day of the US Open at one of golf's most iconic courses. He's going to come second. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tom Watson missing a putt at Turnbury. This is the sort of thing that'll happen, Phil. I'm just trying mm. to get up the winning scores. Sorry. 
Uh, Pebble Beach in 2000, Tiger Woods 12 under. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's the only player under par. He won by 15 shots. Yeah. In mm. 2010, McDowell was level par. Right. Level par, McDowell. And in 82, was that Watson? In 82? Yeah. Was it? I think it was Watson. Uh, that was 6 under. Okay, 6 under in 82, and then in 92 it was 3 under. And 1972, in fairness, 72 could have been Watson, actually. Uh, that was 2 over. So we've had two over, we've had three under in 92, we've had six under in 82, level par in McDowell's year, and then Tiger was 12 under. So it's not, you know, inconceivable that mm. there could be a five, six, seven under par. It depends on the weather. Yeah, but also the problem for Phil at US Opens, and it's not that long ago, the year Justin Rose won that he actually could have won one, but it just feels that Phil at Augusta, at any course like this, has a triple bogey in him at any second. That it can all oh, yeah. go hard. You just could not trust him to have 18 fairways in a row when he'd need it. Now, there's not many players you can. But it just feels that for Phil, when it goes wrong, it's going to go horribly wrong. There was a constant threat of jeopardy along with the swashbuckling uh, mm. magic. That's it. I do, like, this must be one of the, if not the greatest major year in terms of courses. Going Remind from Augusta. Me. Yeah. To what's the second major now? Then is the PGA the second major? PGA is second major in Bethpage. Okay. Then on to Pebble Beach, and then on to Port Rush. Wow! Yeah, that is amazing. I was over yeah. at a friend's um, the other day, and we were watching a game, and I'm not sure how, but it seemed to be on NBC, the football match. <laughs> and um, he pays for all the subscriptions. He so does. He no, he does. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting, um, just you know, midway through the game on NBC, Royal Port Rush appears, you know, as an ad. They have ads on the bottom of the screen during the game, and you see Royal Port Rush, the 140, whatever it is, open, you know, live on NBC this summer. Like, it, it's, it is extraordinary. Royal Port Rush is now going to be, in golfing terms, a household name all over the world. Like, mm. that is the power of the open. We can all name the courses on the open rota. Yeah, we're, we're very relaxed about it. Yeah. It sort of feels like it's crept up. The Open Championship's happening on this island. Mm. Yeah, it'll be a, a, a tremendous build-up a few weeks beforehand. Uh, but yeah, it's very relaxed now, considering. Uh, any final thoughts on Mickelson? And, and Casey, I suppose. Casey, I thought, was a little bit conservative. I, just to touch <sighs> off. Paul Casey. He had a lot of four, five, six footers for par, you know, and mm. you just run out of luck eventually. Um, he just didn't quite have it on the Sunday. No, and mm. you go all the way back to when he played in the final round with Louis Westhays in the St Andrews in 2010, and again played so such conservative golf, never put any pressure on. Yeah, like he's won all the money in the world. I can't imagine Casey needs the cash. Mm. Like he's at that stage, he should be just winning or imploding almost. Yeah, not a nice second place finish. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, so that is ninety million. Phil has won now. Nicholson over ninety million. Ninety. And twenty-eight man. years between first win and last. In fairness, he is just an all-time Hall of Famer legend. Uh, would you like him to do the Grand Slam? Yes. Yeah, same. Oh, I would yeah. absolutely. dearly love him to. For all his failings, and there are failings, uh, he just has so many redeeming qualities. Absolutely. So that, it's also just in pure golfing talent. Yes, yeah. I think I mean, that's yeah. the biggest one, isn't it? He is just... Uh, wow, well, in pure golfing absolutely. talent, he should have 10 majors, but unfortunately, yeah. he came up against the greatest player of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that is Mickelson, and that is Pebble Beach. How was that whistle for you there? That was that's just getting better. I'm starting to appreciate it again. <laughs> now that we've talked it out, 
Yeah. Uh, before we get on to other bits and pieces, uh, golf fans could do worse than tune into Off the Ball on Saturday around half two. one. Half one. Very special panel with uh, Potter Carrington, mm -hmm. Damien McGrain, and Peter Laurie. Recorded this out in Spawell the night that Peter was opening Spawell. Potter Carrington was out there. Yep. Kind of planning it for a while just to get them in a room together and talk about their life on tour. They grew up pretty much the same era, playing together amateur championships. So uh, yeah, we're going to play it out on Saturday afternoon. We'll put it up on YouTube, probably put it up on the Golf Weekly page Yeah, at some stage yeah, we uh, as well yeah. for everybody to listen to it that anyone doesn't subscribe to Off The Ball. I'll play a clip. Uh, so we're talking about, uh, I don't know how it came up. I think Harrington was talking about his white shoes that he once wore. Sorry, why is this not the Christmas party clip? The Christmas party clip. Oh, we'll play that next week when Peter's in. <laughs> okay. We'll play, that in when we'll play that for you when Peter's in. Uh, uh, next yeah. time Peter's in. That's, that's, worth that's right at the end. That's worth hanging around for. Yes. Uh, so we'll play that towards the end. I'll say no more. Um, so white this, shoes. So P Potter used to wear white shoes and people used to think he was a bit fancy. But actually, it was he got them for free when he was playing for Ireland and didn't want to buy any other golf shoes. Okay. So I was asking him, like, when was the last time he actually spent some money on golf equipment? Good question. Great question. Yeah. So he said he buys some uh, training aids, unsurprisingly. <laughs> uh, but also, here's what he had to say about it. 2007 Open, getting to the playoff, and Ronan, had, my caddy, had got six golf balls ready for the playoff that morning. N nothing to do with me. I would probably not be, not superstitious, but I wouldn't have been that organised. But he'd given them to his father to mind. He wasn't going to carry an extra six balls around the course. So both the lads here are nodding because they know Ronan's not going to take any extra weight. And, but we couldn't find his father between the, the finish and the playoff because there was obviously a melee of mm. people around the, the first tee. So we sent my manager into the pro shop and he got six balls out of the pro shop, Carnoustie pro shop, logoed with Carnoustie on it. And I'm going to tee up with these golf balls, with the logo. Uh, and just before I'm, I'm about to go, we find his dad, we get the golf balls. We didn't have to use the, the Carnoustie logo balls, but my manager was obviously in a rush and had to get the golf balls quickly or whatever. I was hunted down for those price of those six golf balls afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not bring them back? No, sale and return, no. <laughs> I think I, I, you know what? I don't have the golf ball. I, well, I might have the golf ball I won with, but I know I, I still have those golf balls with the logo on them. But yeah, I'm signing all the autographs and all the posters and everything, and they're giving it. But by the way, yeah, it's, it's, it's 45 pounds for these six balls. <laughs> I'd imagine your manager was sweating as well, probably with your golf ball deal, and this is the one that rolls into the hole to same, win the Open Championship. No, it was same ball, same ball out of the shop. It just had the logo on it. it was, you know, that's the great thing with the tightest ball, the one the pros use. Everybody uses. Everybody uses. Jeez, nice work. That is the first news story about the 07 win I've heard in about 10 years. Well, it is one of those things straight away. I was like, I wonder if that... No, I never heard that. One. I haven't heard no, him talk good. about it too many times. Great. I look forward to that. We'll definitely podcast that on the Golf Weekly uh, feed, so that'd be good. Um, so you mentioned Phil is over 90 million. Mm. Matt Kuchar has 46 million. Uh, we've talked about this. His uh, caddy, El Toucan, was on the bag instead of El Toucan on the show. Yeah, I'd say he's in demand at the moment. He's probably charging for appearance fees as well, <laughs> yeah. if there's any sense. So he was on the bag in place of Kuchar's regular caddy, John Wood. As we know at this stage, Kuchar won. It was a four-year um, streak of losses interrupted, 1.3 million. Uh, Kucher confirmed this week that he did pay Ortiz $5,000 and that when all the controversy blew up, he subsequently got in touch and offered an additional $15,000, which Ortiz refused. So Kucher says, it's kind of too bad it's turned into a story. I didn't think it was a story because we had an arrangement 
uh, in place when I started, he told the Golf Channel. I've done enough tournaments, had enough weekly caddies. I'm very clear about what the payment will be. And we had an arrangement on Tuesday. And uh, David, that's El Toucan, was okay with it. And I thought Sunday he was very much okay with it. He said, I feel like unfortunately some other people have gotten to his head that he's deserving something different than what we agreed upon. And it's too bad it's turned into a story because it doesn't need to be. We had a great week, so I certainly don't lose sleep over this. It's something I'm quite happy with. I'm really happy for him. Uh, making $5,000 is a great week. Matt Kuchar. Yeah. Listen, he goes into detail of the agreement that said he told Ortiz at the start of the week he'd pay him $1,000 if he missed the cut, 2000 if he made the cut, 3000 if he'd a top 20, and 4000 if he'd a top 10. Unfortunately, it never went the next step of if I win, what you'll get. He said he gave him the extra 1000 to bring it up to 5000 as a thank you. It was a great week, and they sort of left it at that, and everyone seemed quite happy. He is probably correct. Like we've said this along. If they've came to an agreement, technically... Maybe he is correct, but the price of fame is this, is that everything is going to be scrutinized. And the extra 25, 30 grand it would have taken, what that has cost him yeah. in terms of his reputation and his credibility, and just now been seen as a scrounge. Mm. That is what people will think when they look at Matt Kuchar. The surprising thing in all this is that well, not, maybe it's not. It's, it's one of the interesting aspects is that Matt Kuchar's agent is Mark Steinberg, who is also agent to Tiger Woods and agent to Justin Rose. Mark Steinberg is obviously brilliant at bringing in money. Yeah. Whatever way possible. I don't know if PR is his strength here. <laughs> like that, that, you look at Tiger's career, they've never seemed overly bothered with PR. Justin Rose is overly commercial for what he should be and there's no real sense with Rose that he gets the balance between the commercial side. He's just a whatever the corporate monster wants. As an aside, by the way, on Justin Rose, I saw him do an interview this week where he was talking about how he has no interest in social media. He said, my management company completely look after my social media. Well, that is pretty much what Matt Kuchar said as well. Yeah. So, and I, if Tiger Woods has any sense, I'd imagine he's not going on social media to see what people are saying about him. But that creates its own problems because social media is now a lot of where people's opinions are formed and you kind of have a different opinion of people who are good on social media, professional yeah. sports people who interact a little bit and give you an insight into their life. Whereas what we're seeing of Kuchar, of Rose, of Tiger is just this corporate side of things. Yeah. There's no human side at all. And if I'm Matt Kuchar, I'm turning around to my management team and saying, how has this got to this stage? Mm. How have you let it get to this stage? Well, what could they do? I think you go, do you not hold your hands up straight away and go, listen, actually, we got this wrong. Are you then almost admitting that you took advantage of him? No, like, maybe, surely, you, surely there's a way you can distance yourself and say, listen, we came to an agreement, to be honest, slipped my mind, we moved on, didn't mm. overly think about it. Here's 50 grand. Yeah. Let's move on with our lives. But and it goes. This is a month on we're still talking about this. It's gone too far now, I wonder. Does it look now like he's just buying... His oh, it is. and it, Well, actually, the other thing is his, his management team did obviously kick in at some stage because he goes on to say he didn't offer the extra mm, 15 grand. That, okay. I think that's the key, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think that's the absolute key. I mean, I have a certain amount of sympathy for Kuchar. I, I think he's scroungy and I think he was silly. <laughs> and for the sake of, you know, for the sake of a sum of money that doesn't make a blind bit of difference to him, mm. like he could have 
resolve this issue. And it would have made a huge difference to Ortiz. You know, there's no question. But I do have a why have certain... You got, why, why, why are you not calling him okay. El Toucan anymore? Oh, sorry, El Toucan. David Ortiz. Um, because I want to show respect for the man and not just the cartoon character. That, um, But like, okay, so Kucher has this agreement. The idea that he's not on social media. Social media for a lot of these guys is just another platform to risk making a fool of yourself or saying something untoward or, you know, like doing all the things that social media unfortunately loves like social media feels like it's like it's a bunch of FBI agents just waiting to pounce on the smallest thing, you know? Mm. And so I don't blame, you know, celebrities or big sports stars for staying away from it. Um, and as Nathan just pointed out, like Kuchar, so it's like, I wanted, like, I, mean, I don't want to offer him any more money. That was it. Like, if he doesn't like it, you can lump it. That's it. But Steinberg or whoever in the office thought, you know what, let's do some damage limitation. We'll offer him an extra 15 grand. And now here's the part. Like, Whoever got into Ortiz's ear has, I would argue, advised him badly. Not, not insofar as saying you deserved a lot more, because I think we all agree he deserved a lot more than the five grand he got. But like someone who said, like, take the, someone should have said, take the 15 grand, because there ain't, you're not going to, you're not going to guilt him into 50. Yeah. Because he said, I rejected the 15 grand because I thought 50,000 would have been the ideal number, which ironically is the number I think that we all, you know, completely independently sitting here a couple of weeks ago, we all agreed. I thought that 50 grand would have been a nice number as a saying, look, yeah. here you go. Here's a nice reward. But the thing is, is that like Kuchar's Kuchar kind of lived up to the, to the, to the letter of the agreement he had without any problems at all. And so there's a part of me is the idea that all of a sudden Kuchar's like now cast in this role as the really the bad guy. Eh, I don't know. Like, as he says himself, like he goes, hey, it's, you know, people look forward to me showing up at tournaments. I'm not Phil Mickelson. But, you know, it's not as if like basically he's saying I'm not one of the tight fisted ones. I'm not mm. going to name who they are, but mm. I'm not one of them. Mm. And so there is an argument there. Um, like, I think Ortiz should have taken the 15 grand and that was it. Like, you know. You know, but then again, maybe his principles are very strong, and for that he should be admired. And and he's just going, you know what? Screw your fifteen grand. But well, sorry, sorry, uh, Phil, the fifteen grand wasn't offered that day. Sure, it wasn't. No, no, it was it offered was, like see, last that's, week or whatever. This is what I, I, and again, these are multimillionaires. It's very hard to understand what goes through their heads. But I would have just thought human nature kicks in that you've just won this tournament. You've won one point three million. Your first time in four years. You're so bloody happy, and you're turning to your caddy, and you kind of go, "I'll sort you out." I'm. That's what that ultimately is. Uh, the irrevocable issue that he didn't on the day just say, "Do you know what? This is amazing. I haven't won in four years. I've just won 1.3 million. I said I was going to give you four grand. Screw that, dude. Yeah. Here's fifty. Have some champagne tonight. Have a great year. I love you. Do you know what? Caddy for me this time. Let's do it again next year. Whatever." Uh, there was no sense of just being a good person. It was so stingy. And no matter what he does now, uh, inc including going back and offering the 15, 20 grand, which just feels like a PR payment more than anything, uh, he, his, his name now, Matt Kuchar's name, is just a byword for scrounginess. And you will play golf with people over the next couple of years. And if someone is scroungy in the golf club or doesn't pay for their coffees when the bet was to pay for the coffees afterwards or whatever it might be, people will go, oi, 
Matt Kuchar over there. Yeah. And that is horrendously harsh as well. At the same time, I have sympathy, you know. That's I, I'm, what I mean. I'm, I'm coming around to a touch sympathy. of sympathy for him because the price he is going to pay for this uh, reputationally is enormous. But he, he doesn't seem to understand that in this interview. And again, maybe the fact he says he's not on social media and somebody of his age maybe actually very much isn't on social media and doesn't get it and doesn't understand the way people talk about him yeah. and has been somewhat protected by it. He doesn't seem to get that in this. He just sort of holds his hands up and says, this is the facts of what happened. His last line, though, is a little... So he says, I, don't, I certainly don't lose any sleep over this. It's something I'm quite happy with and I was really happy for him to have a great week and make a good sum of money. Making $5,000 is a great week. You can't say but that when is. you've made over a million. That's what I mean. It's no. the sort of attitude of, look at... Look where he's from. Yeah. Look at what the average income is. He's done all right. Okay, but can I... Sorry, let me... I agree he should have given him a ton more money. So I'll say that. But there are two things to add here. One is caddies are treated like shit no matter what. Like, that's another thing. In the Matt Kuchar's been a professional golfer for a very long time. He lives in a world where the caddy has very little rights, no job security... And is generally considered like a step above the help. You know, they're not allowed into the clubhouse, the facilities for that. I mean, I know it's better on the PGA than elsewhere and certainly has improved in recent years. But remember a few years ago where there was the talk of the caddies union agitating on behalf of caddies. Caddies are an unrewarded bunch at the best of times. So Kuger's coming from that perspective. So he's going and and and. He's going, this guy might earn on a good day $200 a day. I'm giving him five grand for four days' work. In his mind, he's going, that's, that's, that's a decent sum of money. Yeah. And, 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 and there is the argument as well. Is just that like, and this is a tougher argument to make, but, but I think it is worth thinking about is this, is that simply because Matt Kuchar 1.3 million, why does, it, why does he have to then dole out exorbitant amounts of money because he's won that money. I suppose the argument is because when the going rate is 10%, it does, it does, yeah, no, he doesn't have to give 10% because that's 100 grand. But when the going rate is 10%, I just think that sets a context and a parameter that you really can't justify five grand in. You know, oh, it just I, it just does like it's just it's just not it's just too much of a scrounge. Like I I, t- I totally agree. I'm surprised Caddy to get ten percent sometimes. I think it's like it, yeah. you know Steve Williams, the highest paid sports person in New Zealand. Like I think the really top caddies do remarkably well. Um, like it, it but the re- you know the you, really top caddies do remarkably well because the players they work for are doing remarkably well. Sure. Um, and and in the end, like. It goes back to that. I agree. I mean, like, it's just, it was an own goal. It was a stupid own goal rather than, as you said, Joe, this idea that for, from now on and forevermore, Matt Kuchar is now a byword for scrounginess because I think that's the part that I feel. I, I mean, look, at, as soon as this podcast is over, I'll stop thinking about Matt Kuchar because I actually don't really care. Yeah. But, but there is, the, <laughs> like, I think he's being unfairly punished because social media gets involved and all of a sudden there's, a million and one opinions, including my own, that really are just but as you know, Nathan, whatever. As Nathan said, it's the price of fame. You know, it is the price it's, of fame. It's, sure, uh, absolutely. It's, um, it's the reality, and I, I'm surprised, even from a cynical point of view, whatever about okay. Let's say in an ideal world, his initial reaction is, "I'm so happy." You look over at this guy who's helped you. Do you know what? 
we're in this together, mate. This was amazing. Have 50 grand. Okay, ideal world, that would be great. At the very least, item number, or uh, thought number two should be, even if it's a bit cynical, do you know what? People might wonder what I'm going to give this guy. It's not going to look great on me. Uh, here's 50. Now, you yeah, prefer absolutely. him to have option one, but that he doesn't even have option two makes me think Matt Kuchar's yeah. just such a douche. Well, yeah, that, yeah, and yeah, also, it sounds like bad management. That nobody else said to him, listen, maybe we should just pay off this guy and keep him happy. That there is a possibility this could come come back to bite you in the ass. Now, having read Tiger's book and having lived a life of doing very similar, maybe that's expecting a little bit too much. But what can Kuchar do now? Nothing. 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 If Kuchar said, I've thought about it, I've reflected on it. Here's a hundred grand for Mr. Ortiz. I give it in good faith, and I would hate to be seen as some tight-fisted green man. I know how lucky I am, and I hope everybody can accept my apology. And I wish Mr. Ortiz all the best. Would that? I fix think things? other players. I think other players would take umbrage. I think he would make himself unpopular with other players. Yeah, I, I think you're, you have I, a point there that I'd imagine. A it sets good a precedent that none of the players, of the players are going. <laughs> you you, you idiot mental. for getting caught. <laughs> but yeah, what are you but doing? we mentioned it, I think, before. Like, other players are aware of this. Phil, like, Phil is blatant. There's a reason he goes around giving $100 for everybody. Because, I think as he said, yeah. the taxi driver goes, oh, your man's a bit of a prick. Mm. Whereas nobody is says that about Phil. <laughs> um, also, as well, as like, so you know how he got the money? He got the money in an envelope in cash. Mm. So I would like to think that Mr. Gucci is declaring this to the income tax. You know? Yeah, okay. Well, he is now because they know exactly how much is in the envelope. We'll have to move on because otherwise we'll spend all day in this. But, uh, you know, I've, I've sympathy for everyone here. I think poor old Matt Kuchar, it's a ah, terrible yeah. thing to be labeled for at least the next 20 years. You know, be a long time before people forget this. So uh, we'll move on to Riviera. Tiger Woods is your tournament host. He has been since 2017. They're really trying to get behind this tournament and they're given an elevated status going forward. That's going to begin in 2020. So Tiger Woods the host. It will mean there will be a reduced field down to 120. The purse will increase by $2 million. It'll go up to $9 million. And the winner will receive a three-year exemption instead of the yeah. traditional two-year exemption. So uh, they're certainly trying to make a go of this. And... It's a brilliant location. Riviera is amazing. Uh, Tiger's back playing. Dustin Johnson, the favourite, eight to one. McElroy, twelve to one. Justin Thomas, twelve to one. Deschambeau, fourteens. John Ram, sixteen. Bubba Watson, eighteen. Uh, Tiger Woods is twenty to one. Do not go near it. For the love of Absolutely God, do not, not go near it. Uh, missed the cut last year. He's. Um, this is the only tour stop he's played more than four times without managing a win, which is a stat to his credit. He's zero for eleven. A love-hate yeah, also- relationship, he said. Yeah, it's a worse than that. He has the lowest greens in regulation percentage of any course he's played more than five times in his entire career. Yeah. 59.1%. Like, it's lower. It's the lowest stat in his bag of mm. stats. Yeah, so don't expect um, him to he go just, well. He can't... Like, and it's weird. He grew up down the road. Like, the Poana greens are virtually the same as the ones at Pebble Beach that he plays really well on. Um, yeah. I mean, he says he loves the course. He just doesn't play well there. Well, you'll be you'll see lots of shots of him making his debut in 1992. Um, yeah, all week because that's what he, he's synonymous with the place. So playing uh, with Rory. Yeah, I've always enjoyed playing with Rory. Wood said. 
He's a great kid. <laughs> uh, he's a great kid. We got close over the years. Uh, enjoy how he's developed. He's still learning and developing. So, uh, but there are many more wins ahead of him. I've just enjoyed being part of watching him mature on tour. Ruffled his hair. Yeah, well, he's after what he did to him in the tour championship, I'd say he's feeling pretty good about life. Yeah. The last time uh, McElroy played with Woods, he talked about needing a headache tablet afterwards because the crowds were just so insane. Uh, I presume it probably has calmed down a touch since last year when it was uh, such a novelty to see Woods back. But I don't know. I would have thought Rory quite enjoys that environment. Mm. It's the like, third member of the party, though, that's the real hot player. Justin Thomas, yeah. Yeah, he's the guy. No, it's true. Um, four FedEx Cups titles between them. It's, uh, the it's a proper tournament. I, I don't like these brilliant. elevated status events, though. I don't understand no. the benefit of it. You get a Is great it field. But why do you get a better field? Do because top golfers not like playing with lesser golfers? So no, having you, 120 golfers instead of 150? You get, you get more ranking points for it regardless of where you finish. You get mm. more money regardless of where you finish. Mm. And if you do happen to win, less important, I appreciate, for the big, big names. But if you do happen to win, it's a three-year exemption. So uh, for all of those reasons, Nathan, I'm in. Mm. It's some of the most valuable uh, real estate in LA as well. Well, we should recommend uh, Malcolm Gladwell's oh, yeah. podcast, The oh, Revisionist History oh, on yeah, yeah, Riviera, yeah. and how they've somehow managed to some excellent tax avoid breaks. hundreds of millions of uh, taxpayers' money yep. yeah. as a charity. Um, but I mean, oddly, I mean, obviously, as you said, Joe, it's an address or it's an attempt to address the problems at hosting Riviera at this time of year. They can't get the great fields. So this is the basically the the bribe to to bring them in, and you know it's like classic, and to get rid of to offset against some of the dead weight that kind of shows up here. Um, uh, McElroy, by like, the way, has played here twice already, finished twentieth both times. So uh, Philip Reid had a piece in the Irish Times where McElroy revealed his schedule. So he's going to play Riviera this week. Next week does the WGC in Mexico, which Phil won last year. Rory's going to play in that. He's then going to take a week's break. And then he's going to play back-to-back weeks, the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill, and then the players at Sawgrass. And then his last build-up tournament to the Masters will be the WGC Dell match play. That's on in Texas. So he is taking the Honda Classic and the Valspar tournaments off his schedule. So that's McElroy's run-in to um, Augusta, as he hopes to join Gene Sowers and Ben Hogan, Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Tiger Woods. Did you see, speaking of money, did you see these changes to the... We talk about money a lot in this podcast. <laughs> it's golf. Yeah. It's all about money. Uh, the changes that the European Tour have made to the race to Dubai. So the DP World Tour Championship is now going to have the highest first prize in golf. Oh. $3 million for first place. Wow. Nice. To try and tempt people to come in. Uh, big prize fund increases for... The Turkish Airlines Open as well, and for the tournament in South Africa that takes place in the build-up. Basically just trying to put as much money on offer as possible to mm. get some top players to play. They've also reduced it to 50 players, the tour finale. So you get even more money. Exactly. Everything has just gone up. Like, if you're Shane Lowry, you're thinking, Chiching, <laughs> I am already in. I'm guaranteed yeah. I'm going to finish inside the top 50. Yeah. Boom. That's Christmas. That's your Christmas Making bonus care. sorted. Yeah. Uh, Shane Larry, by the way, missed the cut at Pebble Beach. He's a week off and he is going to, given his newfound winning status, um, Larry is going to play next week's WGC in Mexico as well. And then like, Ma- like Ma- uh, McElroy, he's going to take in the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, Shane Larry is going to play the players. Uh, all obviously 
in a bid as well to stay inside the world's top 50. He's 44th at the moment. We should talk Sergio Garcia, shouldn't we? Mm. Yep, and uh, Adam Scott. And Adam Scott, yeah. So Garcia made an apology in a kind of weird um, setup, standing next to yeah, your man, yeah. what's your Todd on the golf Todd channel? Lewis. Todd Lewis. Todd Lewis standing awkwardly looking at Garcia's feet and Garcia looking at his own feet as he apologised. <laughs> I don't know who wanted to be there less. He did say, I received some very emotional personal news earlier that week that didn't help. It was in the back of my mind as I became frustrated on the course, everything erupted. There is that side to it. And it is unfortunate if, like, if he has some personal things going on and it all comes to a head. Like, you kind of have to come out straight away and say that. The statement initially says to be, listen, I've had a really bad couple of weeks, there's other things going on, yeah. I've let it get to me, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Rather than the sort of half-hour statement that came out initially. Yeah, well, I would suspect um, he saw the backlash in a Matt Kuchar way and decided, yeah. okay, I need to um, extend this apology. You, uh, of course, presume he's been completely genuine and when someone says there's personal stuff going on, you kind of just have to say, okay, hands off then. We'll, we'll let you get on with it and in good time we, we'll see what that is. There's not much more you can say. Like, like, from an interviewer's point of view, it's if someone over. says it's personal... Yeah. Like, like it's, when you, it's like when you call in work. If you call in sick and say, I've got some family issues, yeah. then the person yeah. at the other end of the phone has to go, okay, okay, okay no worries. Yeah. No worries, yeah, no worries. bye-bye. I mean, like, he says himself... Look, he goes, uh, I've always been a very passionate player, which is both my strength and my weakness. Like, you know, in 1999 at the WGC, when he lobbed his shoe into the crowd... Do you remember that? And it was lobbed back and he kicked it and it nearly hit the, the, the referee. Yeah. Um, like, you know, that's like Sergio's. Like, the thing is, there's always been, not just about Sergio, but about the, kind of the way Spanish players come up, which is terribly generalizing, but that they are kind of slightly indulged, you know, that they, they, they can be very petulant, you know, that there's always that rumor or always that sense with Sergio going back years and years and years that basically he's just a big child as Brooks Kepka labeled him last week but like um you know and i i think it's made him unpopular there was the whole issue with tiger woods a couple of years back you know um i i have to say i watched i must have watched it 20 times the video of him <laughs> banging the and because i understand a little bit of spanish i understood what he was saying and it was like he was having a go at everybody including the caddy and uh like at the very end he was like that effing caddy I mean, clearly he must have been annoyed that, like, the caddy gave him yardage, whatever, that put him into that bunker. But, like, I absolutely agree, Joe, when it's a bit like it's the catch-all. I've had some very, very distressing personal news, which essentially kind of locks the door on anybody going. Any, you know, you can't say anything. No, afterwards. you can't. So you have to be fair. One, one you, you assume that Sergio's being genuine. Two, you assume that the news isn't so serious that it can't be resolved. And I wish him whatever it is, yeah. every success. Yeah. But here's another thing. Take responsibility. If the news is so distressing, pull out of the damn tournament. There is an argument for that. Well, unless you're getting a nice wedge of cash to turn up. Oh, well, then was. you can't have it both ways. Oh, but they want it both ways. You can't have it both ways, Fiona. It's golf. <laughs> it is so, golf. You well, can have it every way. <laughs> it's one of the great things about it. Have you met what these guys? In, what is interesting, though, and so even leaving aside, so it goes back slightly to the Kucher argument, is, is that the tone of Garcia's apology is such as to suggest that he is in high-powered repair mode now and that, like, the Sergio Garcia apology tour is going to go on for a while. 
And uh, like when when he was asked about like what are you going to say when you see Brooks Kepkin next, and he's like, oh, I'm going to tell him he's absolutely right. It's like um, it, there's something really unedifying about it all. About you know the idea that like Sergio Garcia now has to really eat crow for a while. And uh, you know, saying, and, yeah, yeah, eat, eat crow. crow. Yeah, eat crow. Been too long in England, hasn't he? It's eat crow. What, is what are you it? talking what about? It's an Cumbria. American expression. Eat crow. How do they speak eat, up in eat. Cumbria? What's the okay, accent? Lads, lads. Uh, oh, it's it's a very hard it's a very hard um, it's a very hard accent to do. Um, I suspect really, you're really about to try though. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I'm just checking to see if no, I'm I'm on my own in the room, so I can. Um, he's gone raj, yeah, like this, which is you're like what? He's, he's Indian. <laughs> He's what gone, what words were you mixture. saying there? Sorry, what words were you he's, doing? He's gone mental, or Raj is angry. He's gotten angry. He's Raj, gone. Raj. Okay, yeah. go on, say it again. But it's it's he's gone Raj, eh? or he's gone Kalai like eh? and they say like eh at the end of everything. It's a very <laughs> it's a very strange accent. The more north you go, it's this weird mix of Geordie, Scottish, and West Cumbrian, and West Cumbrian is. And very old accent that kind of relates to like Viking times. It really, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that is anyway. interesting. That is interesting. No, the point is, is eat, eat crow. crow is an American expression. I think. Uh, as yeah. in, you know, I'm gonna I, like I have to repent here. Yes, yes. I gotta take. I gotta take all the shit I'm given. Yeah, pretty much. Right. And so the unedifying part is, is just watching. It's a bit like watching Tiger Woods on that when he wore the oversized suit for his apology. Like no matter what he did, or no matter what, like do you, do you think? The, um, do you think Woods wore the? Do you think Woods was advised to wear the oversized suit to yes, almost desexualize him? Like child. Mm, yeah. No, I thought it was to make him look like oh, I'm I'm just a young, you know. Yeah. Because it, there's a touch of the there's a touch of the the 15 year old wearing his dad's suit in it, isn't there? But they do I'm in America. They do like a parachute that's a bit oversized and a fat tie. So I, I wasn't sure how um, contrived it was. Uh, I and he, he's there. not the best dressed man in the world. No, he's not. No, he's he's not. not. He loves a good pair of jeans and a tucked in t-shirt. Um, anyway, we don't have time for all this. Uh, Adam Scott gave an interview to the New York Times called The New Rules a laughing stock. Every now and then Adam Scott po pops up with the, like really hard hitting quotes about once every 18 months and then disappears again. So He's a legend. Uh, more grey areas introduced into the game. Obviously, he's talking about the um, the caddies standing behind players as well. He's talking about how bizarre that it, the drop from knee height. I, I, a few of them have mentioned that the knee height drop is awkward. Uh, Why? I don't really get it. I played golf about two weeks ago and I dropped from knee height and it seemed okay. Anyway, uh, but he said interestingly on the pin in the hole, to be honest, it almost changes the whole aim of the game. It's to hit the pin, not hold the putt. It takes speed out of your head so much. It even takes some reading of the green out. Now that is interesting because he has been leaving the pin in and he's been putting quite well and finished high up in a tournament in the last fortnight. And we haven't heard anybody really explain the benefits of leaving the pin in very well. You know, we've, we've heard of DeChambeau and Molinari doing lots of extensive research and not coming up with very much either way. So Scott there has articulated uh, a benefit that makes a lot of sense, you know. He, you hit the pin, it takes a bit of green reading out, you don't have to worry as much about your speed. Now obviously if you hit the thing too fast and it doesn't hit the pin and rolls by the hole, you're going to have a monster putt coming back, so it's not like it's without any consequence. But uh, interesting, I thought. 
The the part you didn't mention, though, which I thought was the most illuminating was yeah. his uh, comments about slow play, mm. where he says, I'll take the damn penalty. Give me the penalty. And he squares away like, you know, he go he talks about like part of the problem is, you know, spending 20 minutes around walking to the back tees. So, you know, the, from green to back tees, that takes a little bit of time. Um, but he also blames slow pokes you know, reading greens, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately he lays the blame at tour headquarters where he goes, you know, for 25 years, the idea of kind of tainting a player's brand with a penalty stroke has been considered like an absolute no-no. And uh, he's like going, no, it's time. A senior player, a top player needs to get the, the penalty stroke. Give it to me. I'll do it. If it sets a precedent that, that will force a change. And I thought that was remarkably refreshing, yeah. like really, really insightful. And yeah, brilliant. He gets he's certainly my hero of the week. Oh, good old Adam. Well, why were Phil Mickelson and Paul Casey the only players left on the course on Sunday? Because they're really slow. Exactly. Were... They still have what, two holes to go? Does, is Mickelson have a reputation for being slow? No, I don't think so. But they obviously so. just no. were. Again, p- part of that may have been that there were rules issues uh. that they had on a couple of occasions on greens in terms of what they could repair, what was to repair, and yeah, I don't know. Scott, Scott's interesting, and Scott seems to be a little bit. I can't believe I'm getting away with a lot of this stuff. I just mm. rules don't make any sense. I'm just going to try everything and see if I can work it to my advantage. Mm. Yeah. Gentlemen, I think we're pretty much done. I think you're right. Fionn, thanks, thanks so much guys. for checking in. Thanks we soon. will talk to you next week. So uh, we've Riviera to enjoy. It's always a good week, actually. And then uh, we'll talk next week. And before we know it, we'll be previewing the Masters. Hey, before you go, lads, can I just say, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's a bit awkward now. <laughs> Are you at home alone, Fionn? <laughs> uh, no, uh, well, no. My, she's upstairs somewhere. Mm. Valentine's Day. Upstairs like a... Like a? Like a. All right, Rad, thanks, like Mill. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers, Fionn. Darker kid right here.